I'm going to preach a sermon called The Three Baptisms. Could you say that with me this morning? The Three Baptisms. Say it again. The Three Baptisms. Look to your neighbor and tell your neighbor, have you been baptized? Have you been baptized? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are good, that you are gracious, and that you're kind to us. Thank you for the blessings of God that has been bestowed upon our life. Thank you for what you're doing in and through this church. We lift our hearts up in gratitude, and we show you appreciation today. Now, Jesus, I can't preach without you. You're the ultimate preacher. I'm just your servant. I'm just a servant in your vineyard. I pray, anoint me. That those that hear me, Lord, my words may penetrate their hearts. I pray, Lord, that I may speak only what you want me to speak without fear or favor. Anoint me today as Isaiah was anointed with the coals that came from the altar and you touched his lips. I pray, touch my lips today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. How many has been in church for quite some time, a length of time? Like, I don't know, three, four, five, six, ten years, twenty years. Raise your hand. Let me see you. If we have been in church any length of time, there are certain words or phrases that you will hear of often. It's kind of churchy words that you've heard of often. For instance, how many's heard this word, this phrase before? I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Okay? Now, for an unbeliever, that would probably scare them, but we all know what that means, right? We've also heard this phrase before. If you've been in church any length of time, I'm on fire. You know, that would really freak somebody out. If they, I'm on fire. Or they'll say, I want more of the Lord. I don't know what they really mean by that, but that's a good phrase, isn't it? Or the river of God is here. How many's heard that phrase before? Ankle deep, knee deep river. Or I've heard this phrase before, boy, they're really anointed because they sung a good old Southern gospel song. They're really anointed, you know, gave you goosebumps, you know, or I'm saved or guess what? This is even on t-shirts. I'm born again, blood bought devil stomping Christian. <laughs> We've heard that before, haven't we? Or the Bible is the sword. Or one God in three persons. We've heard this before. We're going to eat the body and drink the blood of the Lord. It's a great phrase, but to the world they don't understand that. Or this is my favorite. Y'all ready? Everybody give me a drum roll. You ready for it? You ready? I'm going into the enemy's camp and take back what the devil stole. <laughs> you know, we hear that all the time, don't we? <laughs> over and over we hear these churchy phrases, we hear these churchy words, and sometimes we say them so much that I am not sure if we really know what they mean. I'm not sure if we really know the significance of these phrases or these words. I think that one of them, the phrases that I heard of often in my life is this phrase, I've been baptized I've heard that phrase over and over before, and I am convinced that I am not sure if people really understand the significance of saying they are baptized. 
Do they really understand the phrase, I have been baptized? And this morning, I want you to open up your spiritual ears, put on your spiritual seatbelts. We're going to take a journey this morning, and we're going to explore the concept of baptism. Now, I want to explain to you the definition of baptism. The word baptism in Greek, especially in the New Testament, means to dip or to immerse. To dip or to immerse. Say that with me. To dip or to immerse. Say it again. I want you to see the phrase baptism or baptisms in this scripture this morning. Hebrews chapter 6, beginning with verse number 1, I want you to pay attention to this particular scripture. Listen to the words of the writer of Hebrews, and I quote, Therefore, leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment, and this we will do if God permits. Do you see the phrase, that phrase there in verse number two, the doctrine of baptisms? Now, the word baptism here in this scripture is plural, which means there's more than one baptisms. And sometimes in church, when we say, I have been baptized, I'm not sure if we understand the significance of what it means to be baptized. And if you are baptized, what baptism are you baptized in? Because in Scripture, there are several. As a matter of fact, I would argue that there is a plethora of Scriptures that deal with baptisms and many different baptisms that you could be baptized in. But if you explore the New Testament, I'm convinced that there are three baptisms that stick out. There are three baptisms that stick out. And I uh, would note that these three baptisms every Christian should experience. Every Christian should experience these three baptisms. Everyone shout three baptisms. Every Christian should experience these three baptisms. And that's what I'm going to do this morning. For a few moments, I'm going to look at these three baptisms. Then at the end of the sermon, I'm going to take the three baptisms and I'm going to, I want to look at a few scriptures where all three baptisms are mentioned in a particular context or a particular scripture. So review very quickly. What we're going to do is we're going to look at the three baptisms. At the end of the sermon, I'm going to tie it together, and I'm going to prove to you in Scripture where all three of these baptisms are seen in the context or the narrative of one passage of Scripture or multiple Scriptures. The first baptism I want to look at is called the baptism of salvation. Would you say that with me this morning? The baptism of salvation. On the count of three, one, two, three. The baptism of salvation. Now, I don't want you to turn me off because it's easy when you have heard of salvation before, especially if you've been in the church for any length of time, you automatically think I have already heard this. And I, I respect that. But I want you to be cautious and be aware of this morning that there could be someone in this building that could have went to church for many years and maybe they are not converted or they're not saved. Or maybe the Holy Spirit is dealing with them. This is the greatest message 
message of the Gospels is the Gospel of Salvation, or what I refer to as the Baptism of Salvation. The Baptism of Salvation is a spiritual baptism which occurs when somebody is spiritually reborn. It is called conversion. It is called regeneration. Our term, what we refer to as John chapter 3, we call it the born again experience. It's kind of like turning over a new leaf. It's starting over. It's conversion. You see, in other words, have you been immersed into Christ? Have you been immersed into Christ? Have you been dipped into Christ? Have you been dipped into the family of God? Have you been immersed into the family of God? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life? Do you confess that He is the only way to God and there is no other way except through Him? The Scripture refers to us that the Bible does refer to the baptism of salvation. And I quote First. Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 13, listen to the words of the Apostle Paul, and I quote, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. For one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, having been made to drink into the one Spirit. Paul is referring to not water baptism. He's not referring to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He is referring to the baptism of salvation or the baptism of the one body, baptized into the family of God. You see, are you in the family of God? Each of you this morning have a family. Most of you are married. You have children. You have lives. You have jobs. But we have to keep perspective this morning. This is the eternal family. And if you're not in the eternal family, you will not make it to the eternal city. There is one family, and we're on a pilgrimage. We're on a journey. We're journeying together as a family to the eternal city. And we have to do our very, very best to make sure everybody we can to get into the family of God. You see, even the Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 27, the scripture says, for as many of you were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. You see, the Apostle Paul is not referring to the sacrament of water baptism. He's not referring to the ordinance of water baptism. He is referring to being baptized into the family of God. He's referring to someone being immersed into Jesus Christ, being immersed into the family of God. Maybe you are here this morning and you say, Pastor, I have heard the gospel before. I have heard that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, but I don't know what that means. I don't know what that entails. I just want you to listen to me for a few moments, and I want to tell you how you can be saved. I want to tell you how you can be immersed into the family of God. I want to tell you how you can be baptized into the family of God. Number one, if you want to experience the baptism of salvation, number one, you have to admit that you yourself is a sinner and you are lost in your sin. You have to admit 
that you are a sinner and you're lost in your sin. Can I hear an amen? You see, the Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse number 10, the apostle Paul said this to the Roman church. He said, it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. He goes on in verse number 11 and says this. He says, there is no one who understands and no one who seeks after God. Verse number 12, he says that we have all turned aside and we have all together become unprofitable and there is no one that does good, not even one. You see, the Apostle Paul says, every one of us have turned our back against God. Every one of us have rebelled against God. You have rebelled. I have rebelled. All of us have rebelled against God. We have turned our back against God. The scripture says you must admit that you are a sinner. You must admit that you are in your sin. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the problem with this modern secular society that we live in, we don't want to admit that we've done anything wrong. We don't want to admit that we are in our sin. We have become so glorified in our churches. We have become so glorified, it's almost as if we have become a glorified country club where we come together and we sit under a steeple and we have almost become baptized pagans because we somehow think that we're right with God because we have went down to the baptismal pool and we have become wet. All you are is a wet sinner. Water baptism doesn't save you. You see, you ask people, are you a Christian? And their response is, I've been baptized. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Baptism is an identification. Water baptism is identification with Jesus Christ. But you first must experience the first baptism. And it's called the baptism of salvation before you experience the water baptism. Are you saved this morning? Are you saved? You see, there are many people that's egotistical maniacs stuttering their way all the way to a devil's hell, thinking that they're okay, thinking that hell is only reserved for the thief, only reserved for the murderer, only deserved for the perverted and the adulterer and the drunkard. But ladies and gentlemen, the scripture tells us that every one of us have turned our back against God and every one of us have sinned. And so the scripture pleads with us today for us to repent and to believe upon Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior. How must I be saved? What does it mean to be incorporated into the baptism of salvation? You first must admit that you are a sinner and you are lost in your sin and you are helpless and hopeless and you cannot fix yourself. Number two, you must believe and confess that Jesus is Lord. You must believe in your heart and you must confess with your mouth. You are not saved if you don't confess. The scripture says the devil believes and trembles. You must open your mouth and confess. Confession is the destruction of pride. You must confess. You see, when your little boy and your little girl does wrong, what do you do? You go to that little boy and that little girl and you tell them, I want you to tell me you're sorry. If they did something against their sibling, you go to them and you tell them, I want you to go to Johnny and I want you to tell Johnny that you're sorry and I want you to hug Johnny. Because that's the nature of repentance is 
confession. We must confess. The Bible says in Romans 10 and 9 and 10 that if you would confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. My friends, this morning you must admit you're a sinner. You must admit that you're lost in your sin and you can't help yourself. But you first must believe and you also must confess that Jesus is Lord. If you would take a trip to India and you would go to India, you know Hinduism is one of the largest religions of the world. And if you would go there, they don't have no problem in serving Jesus. But the problem is, is that they incorporate Jesus into their 33 million gods. They worship Jesus, but they worship the other 33 million gods. You see, if you're going to be a believer and if you're going to be baptized into the baptism of salvation, you must confess that Jesus is Lord and Savior and he is the only way to heaven. There is no other God. There is no other way. And number three, you must confess, not only confess and believe, but number three, you must accept that it's true. You must have faith. You must believe that it's true. The Bible says in John chapter 1 verse 12, the Bible says, but as many has received him, to him he gave the right to become the children of God and to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood. You're not born into this family because of blood. But you're born into this family, not by the will of the flesh, but you're born into this family by the will of God. Are you baptized into the family of God? Are you baptized into Christ? You must accept that it's true. Not only do you, not only do you need to admit you're a sinner, not only do you need to believe and confess that Jesus is Lord and Savior and the only way, but you must believe that it's true. The scripture says if you received him, he, became, he gives you the right to become the children of God. I am so glad that my salvation is not dependent on how I feel. Because if it was dependent on how I feel, some days I wouldn't even go to church. Can I hear an amen? But your salvation is not dependent on how you feel. It has nothing to do with how you feel. It is a faith thing. And let me say this and let me say it loud and clear. I know that you know this is true. But let me remind you that your education cannot save you in the end. Your wealth cannot save you. Your church attendance cannot save you. Your tithing record cannot save you. Your good works cannot save you. Your achievements cannot save you. There is nothing you can do to save yourself. The only thing you can do is cry out to a merciful God and he will save you. For they that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number eight, the apostle Paul says, for by grace have you been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. The scripture also records in Acts chapter four and verse number 12. Listen to the words of the apostle Paul. He said, none, uh, nor is there salvation in any other name for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Is there anybody in the building? that can wave your hand and say, Pastor, I have experienced the baptism of salvation. Hallelujah. Do you know what happens when you get saved? 
You see, we throw that word around. But do you know what really happens when you get saved? The scripture calls it the great exchange. The great exchange. In other words, when you get saved, you go from death to life. You go from darkness to light. You go from blindness to sight. You go from afar off to being brought close. You are empty, but now you are filled. You are bound, but now you are free. You are broken, but now you are mended. You are hurt, but now you are healed. You are in the pit, but he picked you up. Amen. I'm telling you, God still saves people today. I don't understand how it works. I don't know how it works. I don't understand how God can take a black heart and dip it in red blood and make it white as snow, but I know it's true. I don't know how a brown cow can eat green grass and produce white milk. I don't know. It's a mystery, but I'm letting you know it's true. It happens. It's genuine. It's transformational. Have you been converted? Are you saved? Justice should have hung me, but thank God, mercy cut the rope. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. There's not amount of songs, not another, another prayer. You've got to believe upon Jesus. There's an old song we used to sing growing up in church. It says, are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Is there anybody in this Pentecostal church that can stand to your feet and say, Pastor, I don't know how to explain it. I don't even know when I got saved, but I know something happened on the inside of me. I exchanged my garments of sin for garments of hope, for when garments of reconciliation. In the blood, in the soul, cleansing blood of the Lamb, are your garments spotless or they white as snow? Are, are you washed, washed in the blood of the somebody make some noise that you have been baptized into salvation today immersed into the family of God thank you very powerful thank you you may be seated the second baptism 
Baptism, number one, is the baptism of salvation. Number two is the baptism of water. The baptism of water is a public, physical act of being immersed into water. The act of baptism signifies your association with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It associates yourself with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. You go down into the water, a form of burial. You come up out of the water, a form of resurrection. So when you are baptized, you identify with what Jesus did. The scripture records in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 3, and I quote, listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, we also should walk in the newness of life. Do you see the word and phrase, buried with him in baptism and death. The scripture records in Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 12, and I quote, the words of the apostle Paul echoes the same words again, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you of all of your trespasses. You see, the water baptism, the ordinance of water baptism is the second phase or experience that you should experience in your life. You see, this does not save you. This comes after the baptism of salvation. You do this after you are saved. In other words, your faith is a private decision, but it has to go public. I'm going to say that again. Your faith is private, but it must go public. A public declaration of an inward decision. A public public declaration of an inward decision. Baptism is the identification with Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. You see, the word baptism means to dip or to immerse. You are baptized into water. You are immersed completely into water to show the symbol to the world that you identify with Jesus' story of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. There are those who will say, I'm not ready ready to be baptized. Well, let me ask you a question. Are you saved? And if you are saved, you are ready for baptism. I said, if you are saved, you are ready for baptism. To say that you're not ready is to say, I'm ready for marriage, but I'm not ready to wear the ring. Now, how ludicrous is that? To say that you are a Christian and refuse to go down in the waters of baptism, you are living a disobedient life. Jesus commands us to be water baptized. It is not an option. It is not something that you should think about. You should do it because Jesus said to do it. Jesus shows us the example. It was a command in the Great Commission. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The last words of Jesus is this, go preach the gospel 
and make your faith public. Make it public to the world and be baptized in my name. You see, the word baptism means to immerse or to dip. There are some churches that will dip. There are some churches that will sprinkle. There are some churches that will take a bowl of water and sprinkle it over your head three times. I am not here to argue with those modes of baptism because I have baptized people on their deathbed. I couldn't physically lift them up and take them down to a baptismal pool, so I took water and sprinkled it over their head, and that is called the baptism of desire. The scripture refers to that. They were not physically able to go to the pool, so their baptism of desire combined with the sprinkling, I believe, sufficiently baptized them. But if you are physically able, we encourage you to go completely under the water as a sign of making your faith public. Can I hear an amen? But the reason we immerse into water is because the scripture gives us the indication that that's how the early Christians did it, and that's what the Bible seems to suggest. I'm going to read to you a plethora of scripture, probably four, four or five scriptures. And as I read through these scriptures, I want you to see the mode of baptism, that it was completely done in immersion, not sprinkling, not pouring, but completely done in immersion. Uh, for instance, in John chapter 3 and verse number 23, you see that John was baptizing, and the Bible says he came to what? Much water, and there he began to baptize people. Why did he need much water? He needed much water because he needed to immerse people under the water. The Bible says in Mark chapter 1 and verse number 4, and I quote, John came back baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance. What baptism? That's the baptism of salvation. The baptism of repentance for the remission of sin. I just spoke of that. He said, John came baptizing in the wilderness, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sin. Then all of the land of Judah, those in Jerusalem, went and were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Do you see the word river? River? They went to a river to be baptized. Why a river? Because there's sufficient water there to be completely immersed underwater. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 3 and verse number 16, and I quote, And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately out of the water. He wasn't sprinkled. He wasn't dipped. And there's nothing wrong in that. But I'm just saying in this particular narrative, you see Jesus being completely immersed underwater. He was lifted up and the Bible says the heavens were open to him and the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove. Listen to this scripture. The Bible says in Acts chapter 8 verse 36, this is the narrative of the story of the Ethiopian man and the eunuch. Let me read the story to you and I want you to see what's happening here. You will see the preacher, Philip. Philip is, is with a eunuch, an Ethiopian eunuch, and they're in a chariot and he's reading the Bible. As a matter of fact, he's reading the prophet Isaiah and the preacher Philip sees the man reading the scriptures, and I want you to see what happens here. The Bible says in verse number 36, now as they went down the road, they came to some water, to some water. And the eunuch said, see what hinders me from being baptized. Then Philip said, if you believe, 
with all your heart you may. You know what the preacher is saying? I am going to baptize you, but first you must believe that Jesus is the Lord and Savior. You must be baptized into the family of God first. He said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he, he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water. They went into the water. They went into the water. And he baptized him. Now when he come up out of the water, he came up out of the water. Somebody say he come up out of the water. He came up out of the water. And the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. So the eunuch saw him no more. And he went his way rejoicing. Somebody say amen. The reason we go down to the waters of baptism is because we are making a public statement to the world that we are not ashamed to be identified with Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. When they dip you under the water and you come up out of the water, you are saying, I am proud to be a believer. I am proud to be a Christian. I am proud to be a part of the family of God. What we are saying is not only am I a part of this family, but I got the birth certificate to prove I'm in this family. And the water baptism is the ring. It's the birth certificate. It's the identification that you are now a part of the family of God. Can I have about 50 people stand to your feet and say, I know I've been to the water. And I have identified that Jesus is my Lord. That Jesus is my Lord. He my Savior, and I'm not ashamed of the waters of baptism. I go down to the river where my soul gets delivered. I want to get lost in the presence of God. I go down to the river where my soul gets delivered. I want to get lost in the presence of God, I want to get lost in the presence of God. Yeah, I want to get lost in the presence of God. So I go down to the river where my soul gets delivered. I want to get lost in the presence of God. Raise your voice, I go down. So I go down to the river where my soul gets delivered. I want to get lost in the presence of God. Let me hear your voice, I go down. I go down to the river where my soul gets delivered. I want to get lost. In the presence of God. One more time, I go down. I go down to the river where my soul gets delivered. I want to get lost in the presence of God. Hallelujah. If you've been to the river and the pool, would you shout amen? amen. If you have not, if you've not been water baptized, there is no excuse today. Go to the next point table, sign up, because next Sunday morning we're doing a water baptism service.
So if you have not been water baptized, you can go to the website, www.christpoint.net, go to the block that says water baptism, sign up, or go to the next point booth, sign up, so that you can be a part of the water baptism service next Sunday. And in closing, the last baptism is not only have we discussed the baptism of salvation, you're part of the family. The baptism of water, it's your adoption papers. The last baptism is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's what we refer to as fire. Most denominations around the world ascribe that this is true. You cannot deny that this is not in the Bible. But there's many different clarifications and interpretations of what they mean by the baptism of the Spirit. But I'm going to look at the book of Acts and through the epistles, and I want to show you what I believe the baptism of fire is. The baptism of fire, or the Holy Spirit, is when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to give you power for service and to be an effective witness for Jesus. That is the essence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It comes upon you and gives you the power to do service for him and to be an effective witness for Jesus. Let me explain something to you. When you experience the baptism of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes within. He comes inside of you. But when you experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he comes up on you. Am I right about it? Can you bring me that um, uh, bottle of water? Is there a bucket somewhere? No buckets? Run a bucket up here. This, ooh. Didn't know it was open. So, this is me. Okay? Everybody say hello to me. Okay? And I just got saved. I just got saved. Now, this is supposed to be full. I didn't know it was open. So when you get saved, the Holy Spirit is like the water. He comes inside of you. You have the Holy Spirit already. It doesn't matter whether you speak in tongues or not. You have the Holy Spirit. He lives on the inside of each of us. And the Holy Spirit is the representation of the water. I'm the jug. He's the water. And when I get saved, he fills me up. But when I get baptized in the Holy Spirit, I get dunked in water. It comes upon me. It's in me and on me. It's kind of like the Old Testament when they were making the table of shoe bread. And the table of shoe bread, they put, they put bread up on it. And if you look at the book of Leviticus, the priest would take the bread and he would make the bread and he would put the oil inside of the bread. Mix it up, and then he would put it in the oven and take the bread out, and guess what he would do? He would take the same oil and pour it on top of the bread. That's the symbol. That's a type of being saved and also having the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When you are saved, the Spirit is in you, the oil is in you, but you come out and the Spirit is poured up on you. Can I hear an amen? It's in you and up on you. And the purpose of that is for you to be an effective 
active witness for Jesus, in order for you to do service for Jesus. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he says, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses unto me. So what is the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It is for you to be a witness, in order for you to be an effective service for Jesus Christ. One of the biggest denominations in the world is the Assemblies of God. The Assemblies of God has 13,000 churches in the U.S. alone. Every 32 seconds, the last time I looked, they are sending missionaries around the world. Why? Because this movement believes in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they believe that the reason we are baptized is not to sit in church pews, but to take the gospel to the four corners of the world. Can I hear an amen? So that's the purpose of the baptism of fire. It's interesting. It's called fire. Why is it called fire? Because anytime fire gets on you, you've got to move. So the fire is not for you to set. It's interesting to me that people say, I want more of God and more of the fire, and yet they have it witnessed to one soul. I'm, pre I'm preaching right there. They say, I want more of God. Have you witnessed to somebody? Because the fire of the Holy Ghost that's upon you is not for us to sit in church pews and sing songs. It's for us to take the gospel to the four corners of the world. Listen, the baptism of fire or Holy Spirit is separate from salvation. It is separate from water baptism. Now, in my experience... I have baptized people that got saved the same day. I baptize them. They come up out of the water speaking in tongues. It could happen in one day. But there are three separate experiences. Listen to the words of the scriptures. Matthew chapter 3, it's recorded in all synoptic gospels. Every synoptic gospel, this baptism is recorded. Matthew chapter 3, verse number 11. This is the words of John. I indeed baptize you with water under repentance. That's the baptism of salvation. I baptize you with water under repentance. But he is going to come after me who is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and with fire. Somebody shout fire. The Bible says in Mark chapter 1, verse 8. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Luke chapter 3, verse 16, this is another gospel. John answered and said, saying, I indeed baptize you with water, but one is mightier is coming after me, whose sandal straps I'm not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and with fire. Somebody shout fire. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 33, Jesus said, I do not know him, but he will... But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, well, this is John speaking, of whom you will see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, for this is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Over and over, the Gospels tell us that there is another experience found in God. Getting saved is wonderful. Being water baptized is wonderful. But there is more to God than you have experienced. Is there anybody in the building that can wave your hand and say, I believe there's more to God? Now, I want to share with you the baptism of salvation, baptism of water, the baptism of fire. I want you to see those three working together in Scripture. All right, you ready for it? 
I'm getting ready to close because this is the ending. I want you to see all three of them working together. Then Peter said to him, repent, every one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is to you and to your children and to all that are far off, as many as the Lord your God will call. Do you see all three of them working? He says you must, be, you must repent. Everybody say repent. He said you must be baptized. And he says, you must receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. All three of them working together. Somebody say baptism of salvation, baptism of water, and baptism of the Holy Spirit. All three of them working together. What about this scripture? Acts chapter 8 verse 14. Look at all of them working together. Now when the apostles were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. So I am assuming that these people became believers because they received the word of God. Would you agree with me? Say amen. They sent Peter and John to them who when they had come down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet it had not fallen upon them for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. What is that? Water baptism. Then they laid hands on them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. How many to raise your hand and say, Pastor, I see all three there. They received the word of God. They were baptized under John's baptism and Peter and John went and laid hands on them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Acts chapter 9, verse 17, you see all three of them here. Ananias went his way and entered the house, laying hands on him and said, Brother Saul, Brother Saul, referring to him that he was just converted on the road to Damascus. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. He received his sight at once. He arose and what happened? He was, was it Holy Spirit baptism or water baptism? water baptism. So all three of these are working together. Brother Saul, baptism of salvation. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, baptism of fire. He was baptized, water baptism. Look at the last scripture, Acts chapter 19 verse 2. And he said to them, the apostle Paul, he's saying to these Christians, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And what did they say? We haven't even so heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what baptism was you baptized it with? Were you baptized in water? And what did the people say? Yes, into John's baptism. What is John's baptism? Water, and it was for repentance and conversion. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized you with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They spoke with tongues and they prophesied. Do you see all three baptisms working here? Number one, he said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Verse number two, you believed. 
Have you received the Holy Spirit since you got saved? So they were already saved. And then they said, we were already baptized into water because of John. And because of that, what happened? They laid hands on them. Paul laid hands on them. And they received the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit gave them utterance. And they spoke in tongues. And they prophesied. The Bible says in John chapter 20, verse 22. You say, well, pastor, you don't find this speaking in tongues and baptism stuff with the disciples. Listen closely. John 20 verse 22. Before Jesus died, before Jesus went to heaven, before Jesus ascended to heaven, he had 12 disciples. One of them betrayed him. Those 12 disciples were not saved. They were walking under the law of Moses. They did not have a conversion experience. This is their conversion experience right before Jesus goes. Now they were saved under the law, but the saved in the spiritual sense that we're talking about this morning, they didn't have. Look at it. John chapter 20, verse 22. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive sins of any, they're forgiven. If you retain sins, they're forgiven. That's where the Catholics get it. Forgive sins, you know. If you forgive sins of any, they're forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they're retained. He breathed upon them. And they received the Holy Spirit. What happened? The Holy Spirit came on the inside of those 12 disciples. You know why? Because Jesus is getting ready to go to heaven, and he's preparing these disciples for what they're going to face, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. And you say, well, pastor, that's enough. They received the Holy Spirit. But why did Jesus tell the same people to go wait for the promise of the Father? Why did he tell these same 12 disciples, I want you to go to an upper room, and I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit. If they already had the Holy Spirit, then why did they have to go to an upper room and wait for the Spirit? Because the Scripture is clear, they didn't have it all. They got born again. They got the Spirit within them, but they never had the Spirit upon them. The same disciples that had the Spirit breathed upon them is the same disciples in Acts chapter 2 and verse 4. Acts chapter 2 verse 4, the same disciples had this experience. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I'm about to shout up in here. I'm telling you more. There's more to God than just going to church, singing songs, listening to sermons. I'm telling you, he has a well full of water. He has a well full of power and glory that you've never experienced before. There are three that bear witness. First John 5, 8, the spirit, the water, the blood. Water baptism, the blood of Jesus for salvation, spirit baptism of fire. There are three that bear witness, and they all agree that they're together. They're together. You must have all three working in your life. You are brought into the family of God. You're in the family. You got your papers through water baptism that you're adopted in this family. But the Holy Ghost is fire. He gives you a car. He gives you fuel. He gives you fire so that you can go tell everybody else about the message so you can bring him into your family. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit, is that you can bring people into the family of God. The Apostle Paul says, I thank God I speak in tongues with you more than y'all. 
One of the things that can happen to you that when you begin to ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, your language will change. The language is not something spooky. The language is to God. When we speak in tongues in a church service, we should be quiet and wait for an interpretation so that the unbelievers are edified. But when we are praying together as believers, no unbelievers in the building, when we're just praying together as believers, we're speaking to God, mysteries to God. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2, for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, his spirit speaks mysteries. You see, people get confused. I don't understand all this speaking in tongues business. You don't need to understand because there are times that your spirit is praying to God and it's speaking mysteries to God. Do you know why that's important? Because your mind is limited. Your heart is limited. Your reason is limited. You are limited in a physical body. And there are times in your life where you need to pray a prayer that you don't understand. You need to pray things you don't know what to do about. And that is why the Spirit of God will pray through you mysteries. It will pray to God for you. How do I receive it? It's not learned. I can't teach you to do it. I can't force you to do it. If you are saved, all you got to do is ask for it. It's not a reward. You can't be good enough for it. You can't plead enough for it. You just ask for it. And then, number three, you've got to open your mouth. Don't ask for the Holy Spirit and sit there with your mouth closed. Open your mouth and begin to speak the mysteries of God and let Him fill it because it's not learned. I can't teach you. Let it happen. I remember a story years ago. I remember a story I read. It was impactful in my life. Kenneth Hagin was telling a story about how a Catholic priest in Los Angeles was reading the scriptures one day. And he came across Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 19 where they heard about the Holy Spirit. I didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. And then the, the Apostle Paul laid hands upon them and they begin to speak with tongues. He was beginning to read that story and he asked the Lord, he said, Lord, if this baptism is real, can you send someone to pray with me today and explain it to me because I'm hungry for you. So the Catholic priest, after he read the scriptures, he went to the cathedral and he was down at the corner and he was praying. About two hours later, Kenneth Hagin was in his car driving down the street of Los Angeles to go to a Pentecostal meeting. As he was going down the road in the Pentecostal, in his car, in his nice car, listening to music, glorifying God, getting ready for tonight's meeting, the Holy Spirit said, Kenneth, I want you to stop up here at this cathedral, this Catholic cathedral, for there is a priest inside praying for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Immediately, Kenneth said, Lord, I am not familiar with the Catholic Church. What do I have familiar with this priest? We are worlds apart. I'm a Pentecostal. He's a Catholic. And the Lord said, he's hungry for it. Go pray for him. So he came up to the cathedral. He opened the doors of the cathedral. He walked down there. He said, I was really nervous. As I was walking down the aisle, I could hear a pin drop. I looked around. I didn't see anybody. He said, but off to the corner, to the left of my eye, I saw a young man with a black robe. He said he was up there praying. I went up to him, tapped him on the shoulder. And I said, Father, I've, Father, are you praying for the Holy Spirit? He turned around and the priest said, you must be the man. I've just asked the Lord to send someone 
someone to pray with me about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He said to the man, Father, are you a Christian? He said, yes, sir. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes, sir. Lift your hands. He laid hands on that priest and immediately he began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave him utterance. I'm telling you, the only thing you need today is somebody to say, Lord, I'm hungry for you. I'm hungry for more. Hallelujah. Consuming fire, you're our heart's desire. Living flame of love, come baptize us, come baptize us. another baptism of fire. What this generation needs is another baptism of fire. If you believe that God still baptizes his people with the Holy Spirit in fire, would you stand to your feet and give God praise today? Hallelujah. Would you give God praise today that you still believe in the power and the working of the Holy Spirit? Come on. Give God praise today and quit acting like you're sick and broke. Come on. Lift a voice up to God today. Can, can, I, can, can, I, can I do it one more time? And I know I get excited sometimes. But, you know, I ask you to praise the Lord, and most of you just sat there and looked at me. And I love you. Really, I do. You don't have to act like me. But let's just, let's just push a little further. Is that all right? Can we just push a little further? I mean, I want this place to erupt in praise. Is that all right? I love you. I'm, I'm, we're okay. We're good. I, I love you. I just want to push you a little bit. Is that all right? So on the count of three, let's just push you in a little bit. Is that all right? One. Come on, push in. Two. Three. the ancient, do you know the ancient, let me say this, do you know the ancient Greeks believed in the four elements? Do you know what they are? Earth, hold on, show pastor, earth, water, fire, br air, breath, wind. So let's say them together, earth, fire, wind, and water. So those are the four. It's ironic to me 
that all of us has been created from the earth. We're Adam, red clay. We're brought from the earth. Earth, that's the first element. The second element is wind or breath. That earth cannot live unless God puts breath into you. And that's what I call salvation. Come on, somebody. Water, that same thing that has breath in it, has to go underwater for identification. And what's the last one? Fire. You must have the fire of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that all four elements demonstrate to us the three baptisms.